0: morning. This morning I'm going to read John chapter 8 verses 31 through 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? However, no, whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Jody, for reading the scripture. And I want to thank Sarah and Andrew. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your leadership in children's ministry. Can we thank them? Oh, to hear those stories of the children and to be convicted by those stories. Uh, Thank God for that. Oh, that I would have the faith of those children. What a testimony. Well, we've been on a series through the book of the Gospel of John, so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, if you have not done so already. And if you will, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are indeed the God of the impossible. There is no one like you. Lord, never are your plans thwarted, come what may. You remain. Your purposes remain. Thank you that you are a God that removes scales from our eyes and shows us the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, and I ask that you would do that this morning. We need to see Jesus. And so, Lord, to that end, I ask that you would take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for yourself. And, Lord Jesus, take our wills and bend them to be your own. We ask this for your namesake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, at the risk of dating myself and bringing memories of a bygone music era, I bring up the following music reference. In 1979, the ultra-popular American folk singer and songwriter Bob Dylan shocked the music world by publishing an album of Christian songs. The album, Slow Train Comin'. On the album was a song that would win the 1980 Grammy Best Smell Rock Performance of the Year. The song, You're Gonna Have to Serve Somebody. Some of you know that. And contrary to the Beatles star John Lennon, who felt this song was embarrassing, And said, no, you really just have to serve yourself. The words of this song very much encapsulate our theme today in the text today. So give a listen, and in advance, I apologize to you Bob Dylan fans, because you know I am going to not do justice to the way only Bob Dylan could perform this. Nevertheless, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. Maybe living in another country under another name. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe a construction worker working on a home, might be living in a mansion, you might be living in a dome, you may own guns, you may even own tanks, you may be someone's landlord, you may even own banks, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And in his poetic folk-style way, Dylan makes the convicting point that whoever you are, rich or poor, famous or infamous, politically powerful, or just an average citizen, you're faced with a critical life-determining decision, which is this, who you're going to serve, or more accurately, who's going to be the Lord of your life? In Dylan's words, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And insightfully, he doesn't leave one of those two options to be yourself. In our passage today, Jesus is speaking with Jews who are at least informed, considering the truth of his message and the truth of his identity. And as we heard in the reading of scripture, there's a tussle going on, if you will, a verbal exchange. Jesus brings up the issue of freedom and slavery, and he does so in a way that becomes very personal, very indicting, and not to mention infuriating. If you look over at 59, where they seek to pick up stones. But Jesus calls them to understand that anyone who does not believe in his teaching is a slave to sin, is a slave to sin. Yet in their blindness and their callous arrogance, the Jews push back. Pushing back against Jesus is not wise. But they argue their case. And they say they already have everything that they need and all that's truly required to be accepted by God by virtue of their lineage, By virtue of their heritage in Abraham. In other words, they got what they need to be accepted by the king, and they got it by birth. And Jesus, the holy incarnate God-man, confronts them. He confronts them on their arrogance and on their spiritual blindness, and he seeks to impress this truth that freedom from the mastery and tyranny of sin cannot be achieved by being part of a lineage nor by being born a descendant of Abraham. Freedom from sin requires a heart change. It requires a heart surrender. It requires a life-transforming belief in the person, the words, and the work of Christ. Let me say that again. Freedom from sin requires a heart change, a heart surrender, and a life-transforming belief in the person, the words, and the work of Christ. Or more simply, which is the main theme of my message today, that freedom from sin comes by believing and abiding in the truth of Christ. Jesus is seeking to impress upon these listeners that by trusting in their own assessment of themselves, that they're keeping themselves separated from God. Apart from true saving faith in Jesus, these Jews would never be free. Not free from the bondage of sin, not free from the penalty of sin, not free from the tyranny of sin. They would, if you look up at verse 24 that we read last week, they would die in their sins. Now, I think it's important that we keep in mind who Jesus is talking with here. If you look up at verse 30 and 31, it's a reference to Jews who believed in him. Now, I would offer that there probably were some who did believe in him there. However, it's clear from the text in the context, as we read, that the main group that he was addressing were not true believers. And they were following him in form only, only an outward appearance. So they likely went to temple, likely practiced religious ceremonies, probably knew a lot of Bible stories. They called themselves the offspring of Abraham. They saw themselves as the true followers of God essentially because they were born into it. That was their identity, at least outwardly. Yet in their hearts, they did not embrace him. They did not treasure him. They did not surrender their wills to him in faith. And Jesus is seeking to disarm false thinking about what it truly means to believe in God, to be in relationship with God, which, by the way, has nothing to do with heritage, has nothing to do with lineage, which has nothing to do with outward appearances. Jesus is calling them to accept and believe his words which are the only way to true freedom, and he's calling us to do the same. So point number one, freedom from sin is received by trusting in the person of Christ. Freedom from sin is received by trusting in the person of Christ. So in defense defense of their religious position, these Jews were claiming right standing with God through their lineage to Abraham. They think of themselves acceptable to God because they're sons of Abraham. Yet in reality, Jesus tells them they're slaves to sin and children of the devil because they lack faith in the son of God. Children of the devil. Those are kind of tough words. Maybe confrontational words. The older I get, the more I see the radical nature of our Lord. But the Apostle Paul deals with this very issue in the Epistle to the Romans, where he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Later on, he says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are the children of Abraham because they're simply his offspring. Jesus, later in our passage, uses the illustration of a son of a household being able to set free the slave, which is a picture of the ministry of Christ that these listeners needed and needed that only he could give. So Jesus is seeking to impress the truth that outside of and apart from a spiritual union with God through trust in the Son means to be in union with the devil and a slave to sin. Let me say that again. Outside of and apart from a spiritual union with God through trust in the Son means to be in union with the devil and a slave to sin. That's a pretty exclusive message. Pretty frightening. And it takes faith to accept. I don't recommend you just run out in the street and say that unless the Spirit leads you to do that. But these listeners fail to see the bigger picture. They needed to deal with the problem of their sin. Their sin was not just something that they did wrong. Their sin was something that blinded them. They didn't see it. It enslaved them and sadly it damned them and heritage could not save them. They needed a change of heart. They needed spiritual rebirth. They needed new eyes to see that Jesus indeed is God. And ultimately, they needed to be reconciled with the God of Abraham, who was standing right in front of them. They needed to be reconciled with the God of Abraham, who was standing right in front of them, and they didn't see it. Scary. I wonder if there might be some here this morning who as well need to see a bigger picture who would say their sin is enslaving, that they are blind, that they're separated from God, that they need to be reconciled to God. To these listeners and, of course, to us, Jesus declares the truth about himself He is God. He is here to set free. He has come to raise the dead. And trusting in Christ brings freedom from sin. But to those who sadly refuse to place their trust in Jesus, they will remain in their sin and remain in bondage to the devil. And as verse 24 says, die in their sin. And as harsh as these words sound and might appear to us, we must recognize that this is a work of a loving shepherd seeking to shake people out of their spiritual deadness. Friends, let's not miss the importance and the truth of this for us today. It applies as much to us who are here. Are we and do we hold on to anything that qualifies us before God other than Jesus and the faith that he's given to us? Nothing else qualifies. Freedom from sin does not come from our work or our merit. It comes from him. We don't need a link to Abraham. We need a link to God. And we have that through Christ. And joyfully, those who put their faith in Christ, who trust and abide in his words, will know freedom from that sin. That's good news. That's news for us. For clarification purposes, when I say freedom from sin, I'm not talking about freedom from temptation, as Matthew mentioned. I'm not talking about freedom from ever committing sins, nor freedom from the effects of sin, from trouble, from tragedy, and from even death. I'm speaking about freedom from the bondage of sin that blinds us from the truth of who Christ is. I'm talking about freedom from enslavement to sin, and I'm talking about freedom to love the truth that sets us free, a freedom to love the truth that sets us free. As one author says it, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. It's genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. How kind of God. In the end, friends, freedom of Christ gives rise to the joy and peace of all sins forgiven. The hope of heaven and the joy and confidence of the removal of guilt, judgment, and wrath of God. Praise God for that. So are we walking in the awareness of this freedom? Do we know this freedom? This freedom from sin is received by trusting the person of Christ. Point number two, freedom from sin is confirmed or proven by abiding in the words of Christ. The Jews listening to Jesus were claiming Abraham as their father. However, their claim to Abrahamic paternity lacked one very important element, which was the conduct becoming to their father Abraham. It's supposed to be like father, like son. In verse 39, Jesus confronts them. If you were Abraham's children, You would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. This is not what Abraham did. And if you recall, Abraham, in fact, obeyed the voice of God in obedience. In verse 42, he tells them, if God were your father, you would love me. So, in essence, Jesus is saying, it is like father, like son, except your father is the devil. In John's epistle, we read this, 1 John 3.10, by this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Jesus confronts these listeners with the truth that they claim to be of God, yet the word of God finds no place in them. And that if they truly were in union with God, then they would love Jesus and love to keep the words of Jesus. That's good word for us. If we claim to be of God, then we will keep the word and seek to keep the word of Jesus and to love him. First John also tells us that no one who abides in him that is in Christ keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him Again Jesus is attacking the thinking of these hearers which allowed them to claim a certain spiritual status without the lifestyle to back it up It blinded them from seeing the truth of their sinfulness And it blinded them from seeing their need for God. And sadly, such thinking today is commonplace and it is pumped into our lives in every level of media. It's in the cultural air that we breathe. Friends, it's not enough just to be Christian in name only or in outward form or appearance. We might think that because my family is of such and such a denomination, or because I own a Bible, or even if because I go to church, that everything is well between me and God, even though I give him very little thought outside of Sunday morning. Such as false faith. Such as false assurance. False faith and false assurance is both dangerous and demonic. One author said that it's not the profession of faith that saves us. It's the possession of faith. Both me possessing faith, but more importantly, it possessing me. That is to say, the depth and reality of our faith in Christ should so affect us that it possesses us, that it changes us, that it changes the way that we live. I can't proclaim faith in Christ without practicing obedience to him. 1 John reminds us that no one who comes to faith in Christ keeps avoiding surrender to the direction of his word. Keeps avoiding his will because the freedom that Christ gives now directs and empowers us to walk in his will. That's part of the effect of that freedom. It causes us to want to do his will and to want to honor God. And anyone who continues in the practice of sin without repentance falsely professes faith. It's false assurance. And it's certainly not abiding in Christ. It would be as if I was learning to play the piano and I came across a certain point in the scale and I made a mistake. And instead of changing to fix that mistake I just kept practicing the mistake the Bible says when we come to faith in Christ and we know his freedom by his spirit we will seek to change our lives to walk in a way that honors him please don't be deceived as we sit here listening to this passage we who agree with the truth of Christ as it was said earlier today, we're not immune to spiritual pride. It is there. It's present. It's something that's right before us. That's why, the God, oh, why God gives us community. That's why he gives us spouses. That's why he gives us Christian friends to help us. And that's why he gives us his spirit and his word. Jesus says that those who are true disciples will have a conscience and a heart to change and to live according to his word, not perfectly. Please don't hear what I'm not saying, but in a growing measure to give him honor and praise. So freedom from sin is confirmed by abiding in the words of Christ. Freedom from sin is received by trusting in the person of Christ. And thirdly, freedom from sin is a gift of divine grace. At one point in his dialogue with these listeners, Jesus asks them this question. Why do you not understand what I say? And later, why do you not believe me? Now, he's not asking the questions because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking the question because he does know the answer, and he wants to impress it upon them. Part of their problem is that they loved the evil that condemned them. They loved the sin that mastered them. And they were blind to their enslavement. And without the power of Christ, there was no way to see it nor do anything about it. They needed divine help. And as terrifying as it is, the Bible makes clear that there is a blindness that has come upon people that keeps them from seeing their need for Christ. It ought to both grip us with prayerful pity and make us grateful if indeed the Lord has given to us spiritual sight. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians says this, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Friends, freedom from sin does not come by intellectual assessment. It doesn't. It comes by knowing and trusting a person. We can't think our way to God. He must open the way for us. The person that can set us free is Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus, by his spirit, is here today. He is here among us seeking to open our eyes, seeking to make this gift of freedom available to us. Friends, if you sit here today and you say, my eyes are open to Christ that I've experienced His miraculous work, we can't take credit for that. We ought on a regular basis give thanks for it. I love the miracles of Jesus where he opens the eyes of the blind. Who can do that? But yet it's a picture of what Jesus does. We do nothing, he does it all. In short, we need to be given a new heart, a new will. There's got to be a spiritual operation. There's got to be a love, there's got to be a surrender, and there's got to be a reverence for Christ. And it's something he and he alone can give to us. That's dramatic. Jesus said to Nicodemus, it's like being born again. You must be born again. You need to have a new heart. Jesus gives that. Freedom from sin comes as a gift of divine grace to the one who puts their faith in Christ. Freedom from sin is confirmed by abiding in the words of Christ. Freedom from sin is received by trusting the person of Christ. So according to this passage, there really are only two camps. Either the camp that sees Jesus as the son of God who trusts him and surrenders to his lordship or the camp that does not. And there's a whole list of reasons why people who don't trust him don't trust him, but none of those reasons excuse them before God. So, turns out Bob Dylan had it right when he said the choice is between the devil and the Lord but it's one thing for a folk singer to sing about something of our destiny it's a whole different thing when the god of the universe speaks about it question is for us which camp are we in perhaps more importantly which camp would our lifestyle declare us to be in listen carefully Many stood in the presence of Jesus. They heard his words, and they did not believe him. They argued their justification before God, before the God who could justify them. Then there are others who heard him and believed. They surrendered their hearts to him. They trusted him. They believed in his deity, they believed in his lordship, and they believed in his truth. The questions that faced these listeners are the same questions that face us today. Who are we gonna believe? Who are we gonna serve? Who are we gonna trust? Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? Will we abide in his word? Do we know the joy of the freedom from sin or will you hold Jesus at arm's length and will you raise excuses why you won't trust him or perhaps even worse, why he's not believable? The overall purpose for the Gospel of John can arguably be summed up in chapter 20, verse 31, which says this. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, get this, that by believing you may have life in his name. Sadly, many believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that his words are true and yet they fail to have life. For example, the devil. He knows that Jesus is true, he knows that he's God, but he doesn't have life because he fails to surrender as anyone who will not trust him fails to give their trust of Christ. Are you willing to surrender in faith and trust of him? Some today will refuse and remain enslaved and blinded. Others will recognize, perhaps for the first time, that He is the Christ and will place their faith in Him. I close today with another song. No, it's not a Dylan song. (laughs) It's written by John Newton, who was the author of the song we sang, Amazing Grace who for many years ran from God in rebellion and made his fortune sadly in slave trading until one day his eyes were opened to the gravity of his sin and he experienced the freedom from sin. Consider the freedom that Newton must have experienced as he put his faith in Christ. The name of the song is An Evil Long I Took Delight. It's this. In evil long, I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood, who fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my dying breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, No, though not a word, he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayest live. He gave his life to purchase our freedom. My prayer is that you would know that freedom today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice of your life. And Lord, we declare to you today that you indeed are the Christ of God Come to open our eyes. Lord, we recognize that we, on a daily basis, need our eyes opened again and again to the truth of who you are. We ask, Lord, that you would come now to our hearts and cause us to trust you afresh for the God that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.